So up here, when I step back and I think of all of history and all of humanity who has walked the face of this earth for thousands and thousands of years, I am utterly blown away. When you really think about your small part in a world of billions and billions of people for thousands of years, you realize how small and how, you know, I won't say meaningless because your lives are very important, but in the grand scheme, you're just one tiny life. Each generation has walked through all these same stages of life that you have walked through. All of us have been born and we had those toddler years and we grew into early childhood and then you become a silly adolescent who thinks you're invincible and you try everything and you push against all of the rules. We have all gone through early adulthood, or most of us, sorry, not all of us, early adulthood where we begin building our lives, we find work, we begin to build a family, and then our bodies start to slowly diminish. We hit 40, and we start to feel pains in the morning, and we dread what the future holds. Then we watch our children grow up, and they give us grandchildren, and we watch the cycle repeat itself in their lives, in the lives of our children, our grandchildren, and our great-grandchildren. This is a story as old as time with millions upon millions of families and generations, each person writing their own story and trying to build their own life. And that's why we've all heard the proverb that there is truly nothing new under the sun. There is nothing that you've gone through that no person on the face of the earth has ever gone through before. And yet, even though the generations before us have experienced a lifetime and an age and stage of life that we have yet to conquer for ourselves, for some people, receiving advice about your life from somebody else is completely unwelcomed. Let's talk about advice for a moment. Raise your hand if you like to receive advice and you're like, thank you, I will definitely listen to that. There's a few of you. And now, who are the people who like to learn the hard way? There's a few of you. Yeah, you're like, you know, I know you can tell me till you're blue in the face how I'm supposed to do this thing, but I've got to do it for myself. You don't understand what I'm going through. I am a unicorn. I am unique. <laughs> and so I finally got to the point in my life where I'm willing to receive the advice of elders. It's taken a while to get there. I think when we're young, we all think that we're special. We all have to learn on our own. But we get to a point, and I know I've gotten to this point, where I realize my life isn't that different than those of you who have gone before me. Yes, technology has changed how we operate in the world, but let's all be honest. People are still people, right? And so life uh, that you have lived still applies in many ways to me. I have much to learn from those who have gone before me. And so it's because of this that I now appreciate the wisdom and advice of others when they offer it to me. You see, when I receive advice, it allows me to grow in wisdom. And wisdom is really, really important to your life if you use it the right way, if you know what to do with it. If you listen to wisdom, it will help you marry a spouse who is a great partner, a great fit, and a great complement to your life. 
Many have taken the foolish path and married somebody and later regretted that they did not listen to those who had given them warning earlier. Wisdom leads to making better financial decisions that typically lead to better financial outcomes. You don't go blowing your money on silly, youthful things because people say, you know what? You're going to want to save some of that because you're going to need it for a house or for savings later. You don't believe it until you listen to the advice and you have the safety net and then something happens and praise God, I've got money to help me with that expense. Wisdom prevents major life blunders that wreck your plans for the future. And wisdom can give you a new view of the world that's going to guide all your decisions differently than if you just live in youthful foolishness, exuberance, not paying attention to what others are willing to share and guide you along the path with. And so today we are going to look at the wisest man who ever lived. The one who first penned, there is nothing new under the sun. And we're going to learn from his advice to find meaning in this life and how we live it. So yes, today we are continuing our series on flawed heroes of the Bible, looking at some really important people in the Bible who do some amazing things for God. But what I love about this series is we see they're a lot more like us than we might think at first blush. They do some really terrible things. It makes us feel like, yeah, I can relate to them because they're not perfect either. And so our flawed hero for today is Solomon. Solomon is King David's son. Uh, we talked about King David several weeks ago. I talked about how he had an affair with Bathsheba, and then he had her husband murdered to try to cover up the concept they conceived a child. And so that child died, but later they were married and they had another child, and this child is Solomon. And at a very young age, he became king of Israel after his father David. And Solomon was known as the wisest man to ever live because of a story that we're told about early in his life in the Bible. In 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 5, we read this. It says, At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Now imagine kids being given one wish. You have one wish to ask for anything we want, you want. We know how kids tend to answer that question, right? They want a toy. They want money. They want something that benefits them. That's so typical to go instantly to the selfish answer. But we see Solomon asks for something very different than the typical kid might have asked for. In verse 9 through 12, we read, so give your servant, these are Solomon's words, so give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? So he's asking God for wisdom. He's asking God for discernment so that he can lead God's people well as this young king. Verse 10, the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, Since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, ooh, that's gruesome, uh, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never 
So that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Solomon understood this incredible challenge that he was facing in this role as a king. And so in leading God's people, he asked for the wisdom to lead them justly. And this marks the beginning of Solomon's life as this wise sage who many sought his advice. So with this wisdom, he then became the author of most all of the Proverbs written in the book of Proverbs. He also wrote two of the Psalms. He wrote the book of Ecclesiastes and the book of Song of Solomon. If you're keeping track, that's three and a half of the five books of wisdom that we have in the Bible. Proverbs is where he gives us such gems. These are my favorites, folks. Better to live on a corner of the roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Young men, pay attention to this. Proverbs 11.22, like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman who shows no discretion. Yes, the book of Proverbs is loaded with wisdom. And when you read it as a kid, you think these things are hilarious. And then when you live it and you meet a woman who has no discretion but happens to be beautiful, you go, wow, what a waste. And it all makes a lot more sense. In 1 Kings chapter 9, we read a story because of Solomon's wisdom. People were coming to him to hear him speak and to have decisions made for them. And his wealth was growing and people were bringing him tribute from all over the seas of the world all around him. And so then Queen Sheba comes to visit Solomon to see his country and all that he's built up in Jerusalem, including the palace that he expanded that David had built and the temple that he had built for God. And at the end of her visit, these are her words to him in 1 Kings 9, verses 6 and 7. She said to the king, The report I heard in my own country about your achievements and your wisdom is true, but I did not believe these things until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, not even half was told me. In wisdom and wealth you have, ex have far exceeded the report I heard. So Solomon is a smart dude. His prayer was answered. And God gave him incredible wisdom that we still share with each other. There are a lot of Proverbs when you read through the book that we actually have as idioms in America now because they're just built into the fabric of our society. And unfortunately, for as much wisdom as Solomon gained, and considering he knew nearly everything about everything, when you look at the arc of his life, you realize he never seemed to find the key to genuine, lifelong satisfaction. That's his flaw. He has all the wisdom in the world, but I'm going to show you as we look through the book of Ecclesiastes today, he never found what's most important, satisfaction in a life well lived. Solomon's search for satisfaction is basically the topic of this book of Ecclesiastes. And it's one of my favorite books, but it can also be really, really depressing this is where we read the continual refrain, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. Or if you love the King James and were raised in that, vanity of vanities. Maybe for some of you that rings in your mind. And so this is this book and he writes about his intentional search for satisfaction. He begins in chapter 1. He says, uh, verse 12 and 13, I, the teacher... 
was king over Israel and Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. Then jumping to verse 16, I said to myself, look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also to madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. Sadly, the man who understood the thoughts of humans better than anyone before found no satisfaction in his vast knowledge and endless learning. Instead, it led to an increase in his own sorrow and grief. He began to see the unfairness of life, the randomness of success, and the misery with which people treat one another. Today for us, many of you are constantly on the search for more knowledge and more wisdom. Some of you are voracious book readers, but more than that, I think most of us go to this thing. We have it in our pockets. It is an endless source about knowledge on anything you could ever want. You can learn all about your family's vacations on Facebook and Instagram. You can go and find information to do your high school book reports on Wikipedia. You can dig to the depths of really bizarre corners of the internet and find things about things you couldn't even imagine people are writing about. There's an endless news cycle about what's going on from celebrities to politics. And for some people, it's easy to get caught in this cycle of constant scrolling. I need more. I need more. I need more wisdom. I need to know more about what's going on in the world around me. And Solomon said, guess what? It's all meaningless. At the end of your life, that stuff doesn't matter. You will continue to scroll and seek and research and you will never get to the bottom and actually scratch the itch and say, well, I did it. I have accomplished my goal and I have learned all that I need to learn and now I am satisfied. There will always be something more to read. In Solomon's day, it was a little harder to get to that information, but in our day, it's a temptation for many of us. And none of it actually makes us any happier or more content. So while you may not have the wisdom of Solomon, many of you can relate to this endless pursuit of more and more information and its failure to ever lead to any satisfaction. Chapter 2, he begins a new topic. Verses 1 through 8, I'm going to read. He said, I said to myself, Come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female servants and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. So if wisdom isn't the answer, what about a heaping helping of worldly pleasure, the type that only kings of nations can afford? Solomon had this vast wealth, 
And he used that wealth to buy anything he wanted. He didn't hold anything back. He tried to find pleasure. Maybe that will give me the satisfaction that I yearn for. In 1 Kings chapter 11, it actually tells us all that he acquired. And it is a massive list. It's like a check sheet of all the uh, swords and all the shields and this much gold and this much silver. And it said silver basically became worthless in Jerusalem because it was so common. But for Solomon, none of it ever felt like enough. Even if he had another hundred years to acquire more, he still would not have had enough to say, you know what, I can stop now. Because that's not how wealth works for people who see their wealth as a means to contentment. You can have all that your heart, when you're young, you'll say, if I can only get this much per hour, if I can make $20 an hour, then I'll have so much. I'll be so happy. And you'll get there. And you'll be able to buy some things that make you happy for a moment. But then 20 won't be enough. You need 25 an hour. You need $50,000. You need $100,000. You need a million dollars in the bank. And every milestone that you think you have to get to, it doesn't actually make you happy. It doesn't actually give you any lasting contentment. That's what Solomon is telling us here. If you're searching for satisfaction in stuff, then no matter how much you own, no matter how new your house or how fancy your truck, you will still be looking for something newer, bigger, and better. And when you finally buy it, you'll have a moment where it scratches the itch and you'll go, ah, I finally achieved. And then within a couple of weeks or months, sometimes only days, you'll be looking for something more. There's always just one more thing. And you know that. You've probably been in that trap. You've fallen for it. And Solomon's saying, he's giving us all advice. He's saying, don't fall for it. We've all been there. Stuff can't satisfy. So he continues detailing his search for satisfaction. We jump to verses 22 and 23. He says, what do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun. All their days, their work is grief and pain. Even at night, their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. With, with wisdom and wealth offering no satisfaction, he turned to the work of his hands for how he could achieve. But he realized that all that he was working for would eventually be left to somebody who didn't work for it. One of his heirs who didn't deserve it. He's going to die. We're all going to die. And all that you collect is just going to get passed on to somebody else. And worse yet, he experienced what I'm sure most of us in this room have experienced. You work a hard day and you're tired and you want to leave work at work. And then you go to bed and work runs through your head. And you're thinking about this problem. You're thinking about that coworker. You're thinking about your need, almost endless list that you have to achieve tomorrow. Well, if I just get up at four in the morning, then I can get everything crossed off my list. And our minds twirl on it and our anxiety builds. And Solomon's saying, look, all that work, all that achievement, all those to-do items you have crossed off of your daily list 
for years upon years upon years, they are meaningless. In the grand scheme, when you get to the end of your life, you're not looking back and going, man, I, sh I sure am glad that on June 30th, 2019, I got everything done. Made a huge difference in my life. Like in the moment, we think, well, this is a make or break day for me. Nothing is a make or break day for you. It's all meaningless. So he says, just enjoy the work of your hands and the toil that you have. Because ultimately, you run and you run and you run and you're just a hamster on the wheels spinning over and over. And the next day, there's always more. And so this has been a really good perspective change for me. I hope as you're hearing it, you're getting hit with it the same way I was as I was preparing this. Just remembering that all the work that I always feel I have to get done, it's so important in the grand scheme of things. You know, relationship with God, relationship with others, health, those types of things are important and work sometimes can wait. Hear that from Solomon. Hear it from me. I'm hearing it from God today. And finally, I did skip one to get to the fourth of my W's. I worked hard to get you four W's today. But women. Women is the final way he sought satisfaction. In Ecclesiastes 2 verse 8 he says, I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of man's heart. The details of that are found in 1 Kings 11, verses 1 and 3. It says, King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. So finally, when he doesn't find satisfaction and wisdom, or wealth or work, he turns to women. He looks for love. It's probably just lust. He likes all kinds for a moment. But clearly, love is not in the cards for Solomon. And no single woman is able to satisfy his desire for connection. So many people spend their lives searching for the one who will fill that void inside of them and satisfy their deepest longing. And sometimes they find the one, but then life happens and that person seems to no longer be the one. So they go looking again. So we have marriages and divorces, affairs and pornography, you name it. Humans do it all in their search for connection. We're trying to find that deep satisfaction, that hole that's inside of us. And we're like, if I can just put all that freight on one person, then I can be happy. And ultimately, as we search for that satisfaction, we often leave a wake of broken relationships behind us. Sadly, after a lifetime of searching for satisfaction... As we look at Solomon's entire book of Ecclesiastes, he concludes that all of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. It's really depressing, isn't it? <laughs> it's surprising that this young king who loved God so much, he was, you know, when God gave him this dream, he was going up to offer God sacrifices just like his dad David used to do. He knew God. He loved God. He wanted wisdom from God. What happened from the beginning of his life to where he ends this life in writing this book of Ecclesiastes saying everything is meaningless? 
We know he started out good. He started out honoring the ways of his dad, King David. So that means he was honoring and obeying the laws of God. Unfortunately, Scripture tells us what derailed him. It was on that fourth W, women. Second Kings, or First Kings 11, verses 1 through 4. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonites, and Hittites. Those are all the enemies of God that they are supposed to wipe out of the promised land. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. So Solomon, with all the wisdom of the world, failed to ever find satisfaction apart from God. Once he deviated from his relationship with God, he went looking all over. Where is happiness? Where is my deepest joy? Where can I fill this longing inside of me? Can you relate? I think we all can. Apart from God, he couldn't find it. In his later years, he ultimately lived a life idolizing wisdom and wealth, work and women. These creations of God became more than just gifts from God and blessings to enjoy as part of God's creation for us. They, in fact, became God to him. They became his idols. They are the source where he thought he could find pleasure and joy and satisfaction in these things. And not surprisingly, they all let him down. Yes, I'm sure he found momentary happiness in all of them, but satisfaction, the lasting, genuine satisfaction of a life built on a firm foundation, it was not, clearly not something Solomon ever found, as he called everything meaningless. It's almost as if Ecclesiastes was written by some grumpy old man who'd come to the end of life and looking back at it, he realized everything was a waste. Well, almost all of it. While decrying everything in life as meaningless, he does write a final conclusion at the very end of the book of Ecclesiastes. In chapter 12, verse 13, he pens these words. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. While Solomon may have walked away from God at the end of his life, being led astray by his foreign wives to worship their carved idols, his wisdom still pointed him back to the one and only truth that he could plant his feet on. And that is that relationship with God is the only thing of any eternal value. By comparison, everything else in this life is meaningless. Youth, do you hear that? You're, well, those of you who are still young, you're still building your life. There's so many directions the world wants to pull you. 
and you'll try them out. And I'm encouraging you, take the advice of a man who's gone before us all, a man who sought wisdom in every type of way. And at the end of the day, he said, when you're old and you know that your life is coming to an end, it does not satisfy what you own, what you possess, all the love that you chased after and all the broken relationships you left behind, all the wisdom that you acquired. In the grand scheme, none of it matters compared to having a relationship with God Almighty. That's it. That's the conclusion of the matter. And it's not a subjective conclusion that only applies to him. Right now, there's this fad. Well, that's true for you, but I need to find out what's true for me. For those of you who are in the room and are a little closer to your swan song, I've been seeing head nods as I speak these words because you agree what Solomon is saying. There's so much that we worry about, that we're anxious about, that ultimately... As we come to the end of life, it doesn't matter as much as you think it does when you're young. This isn't just His truth. This is true for all people who want to find satisfaction in life. Love God, honor and obey Him. It's simple. In Solomon's lifetime experiment, he found that nothing else comes close. So, that's what we need to put our attention on today. I know this world has so much to draw our attention away from God. For Solomon, he had wives who worshiped foreign gods. You have social media and jobs, and maybe you have nonstop kids' activities if you're a young parent. But regardless of those differences between what's pulling you away or trying to pull you away from God... Solomon's truth, his advice still holds. Don't let those things pull you away from your relationship with God. None of them matter at the end of your life. Only one thing does, and that's your relationship with the one life giver. Jesus tells us in John 10.10, he says, The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Isn't that what we're all after? We all say, I just want to be happy. I just want my kids to be happy. I just want to find contentment. And Jesus says, I want you to have life and have it to the full. And ultimately, we find that fullness of life only in Jesus. That's what we all want. And a relationship with Jesus is the only way to get there. So if you've given your life to Jesus and you understand that in Him is the only place that you find joy and purpose and satisfaction, then I encourage you, keep going. Keep glorifying God with how you live your life in that deep relationship with Him, understanding that He is your source and He is your contentment and He is your joy. Don't get pulled away and distracted like Solomon did. When you start to feel pulled away, recognize it for what it is and draw close back to God. Maybe for others of you, you've given your life to Jesus, but right now you don't feel very satisfied. I encourage you to ask yourself, have you allowed the allure of wisdom or wealth or work or women 
to take your eyes off of Jesus? Have you allowed seeking relationships or achieving something really important with your hands to become the top of your pyramid of life and Jesus is just somewhere lower? If that's you, I encourage you to repent and turn back to the source of satisfaction. Make Jesus number one in your life again. And maybe you've been listening to this message this morning and you've been seeking joy and satisfaction all your life and you have never found it. And this is all new to you. And you're saying, I've never thought of God as being the source of contentment in my world. If you've heard these words and you feel convicted, like maybe this is exactly what you need, then I encourage you as we sing this final song, come up to the front and talk to me or we'll have another elder standing over here. We'd love to talk with you about what it means to put God as number one in your life. I know some of you, you raised your hands, you admitted you prefer to learn by trying and failing at life all by yourselves. But this is one time when we should welcome the advice of King Solomon who's gone before us and follow his conclusions. All the options that this world affords us, only one thing actually matters, our relationship with God. So start it, grow it, hold on to it through your whole life. That is ultimately the key to lasting happiness. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray?